crisis. And he wants you and I to depend upon him greatly. To depend upon him. To depend upon him. Do we understand that it's his power that develops our life? It is the Holy Spirit's power that structures us, molds us, and shapes us into what Jesus Christ died for. He is the one who is developing our lives. And we are a people learning to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. If Christ died on that cross just for you to continue life the way you were living, then it doesn't benefit. But if he died on that cross in order that you might have a transformed life, then the question is, who transforms that life? Certainly not you or I, but the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. For he rejoiced over what he was going to see become, and that's what we are becoming, what he rejoices over that allowed him to go through the suffering that he went through. At the time of giving birth is not the most joyful time. (laughs) But afterwards, it's a joy. It's a joy. And the Holy Spirit is the one. After we accept the Lord Jesus Christ and he comes into our life that begins to develop us into the person, into the saint, into the Christian that God would have us to be. He's not dependent upon you to change your life. God is not depending on you to change your life. What God is depending on you and I to do is this, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And if we're obedient, then the life changes. For many Christians who are not obedient per se, their life hasn't really changed. But when you're obedient and you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to teach you the Word of God and you begin to live out the Word of God, then life begins to change. Now, one thing we need to understand about being in this Christian life, we can do nothing in the flesh that would help us or cause us to be like Christ. The scripture says there's no good thing that cometh from the flesh. There's no good thing in the flesh. And there's nothing that we could do to make ourselves better. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people try to make themselves what? Better. And, And they do it for a while. 
but the lasting comes from the Holy Spirit. If it's going to last and it's going to endure, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we can change habits. And we change habits for a while. And we find ourselves doing what? Falling back where? To our old ways. It is the Holy Spirit, in a sense, that stops us from crossing the line, from going back to the old ways. If we listen to him. And if we really understand, we can do nothing in the flesh that can help us be like Christ. Not a thing. I'm going to give you about four verses because I want you to hear something. And I want you to hear it clearly. But let me ask this question before we look at these verses. What are two of the titles in New Testament that Jesus has given? He is the son of God. That's one. He is the son of God. And we cannot what? Deny that. He is the son of God. St. John 1 tells us that the word was with God and the word was God. So, he's God. What's the other title? He's the son of But John also tells us if we deny that he came in the flesh, we are of what? The Antichrist. And what is being stated is simply this. He had a what? Human body. Now can I throw something at you that might just put you on a curve? But I want you to think. If he had a human body, we're confident about the fleshly part, aren't we? But if humanity or man is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit, would Jesus, on his human side, been of body, soul, and spirit? Now, when he's on the cross in John 19, And he commends his spirit. In John 19, it speaks he commended his spirit or he gave up the ghost. In Luke 23, it speaks about him commanding his spirit back into the hands of God. Well, scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes that the spirit goes back to the one who what? Who gave it, but he had a spirit for what purpose? Why do you have a spirit within you? that the Holy Spirit might do what? Connect with your spirit. 
And if that be true of humanity, and Christ took on humanity, would that be true of him? Somebody said, Pastor, you went around the bend now. <laughs> Stay with me. Because we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And the point is this. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to work in him in his time while on earth, how much more do we need him? And that becomes the issue here. So, in John 5, 19, says, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing. Can do what? Nothing. By himself. He can do nothing by himself. In John 5, 30, by myself, I can do what? Nothing. He's stating it again and again. That he himself can do nothing in and of himself. In John 6, 63, he says the spirit gives what? Life. And the flesh counts for what? Can you see why Jesus says that I must die? Because this flesh counted for what? Really, nothing. Nothing. And he demonstrates dying to self that he might go to the cross and being obedient to the Father. That he was obedient even unto death. Then Romans 1.14, it says, And who through the spirit of holiness, through the spirit, was declared with power to be the Son of God? Who's making this proclamation? Who's doing this? The spirit. The spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection. Who's involved in that resurrection? The Holy Spirit. They would not leave his body in the grave. A dependency. A dependency on the Holy Spirit. In John 8.28, he says, You will know that I am and that I do nothing on my own. I do what? Nothing on my own. A number of verses here saying that Jesus would do nothing, what? On his own and in and of himself. And if Jesus can do nothing on his own, what can we do on our own? Catch that up here. If Jesus can do nothing on his own in this human state, not talking about his divine state, but his human state, he can do nothing on his own. 
that while he was in this body, when he walked on water, he walked on water through the power of the Holy Spirit. When he healed, he healed, not on his own, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in Philippians it tells us he didn't grasp for the power of God. He was able to lay that side down while yet being totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work in him and through him. That he might be our example in all things. For Christianity to fail... All we have to do is find one thing that Jesus went into his bag of tricks and did. And we will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't have my bag of tricks. But the same power in which Jesus had to depend on, God the Father, God the Son, gives to us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, how much we surrender to the Spirit depends upon how much now we can be used of the Spirit. How much we surrender to the Spirit determines how much we will be used by the Spirit. In Luke 4.14, are you with me? Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee. Jesus returned to Galilee. Now the question, where was he coming from? He's returning, so where is he coming from? And as we look back up into chapter 4, we see that Jesus was where at? In the desert or in the wilderness. What's happening in the wilderness? He's being tempted or tested. Now, for a moment, just stay with me. When Mary conceived, she was overshadowed by who? The Holy Spirit. When Jesus was born, and someone wanted to kill him, someone told Joseph to take the child and his wife and go where? To Egypt. And when it was time, told him when to come back. Here is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, working together, protecting who? The Son. The Son. We forget in his humanity, even as a baby, he was like a baby. but he was being also cared for and watched for. Remember what Peter says? When you're first born, you're like a what? A baby? Who's watching over you? Who's caring for you? 
we don't have the sense of, <laughs> but God is watching over us. God is growing us. God is bringing us up. God is teaching us. God is keeping us where we would have been gone a long time ago. And when he become of age, 30-31, he starts this ministry now. Does that mean that the Spirit was not with him from birth? No. Scripture shows us from birth all that the Spirit was with him. But he also developed some habits also. Just like we should develop. And we'll look at one of those habits in a moment. But it says in four one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Catch that, that's so important. Led by the Spirit. In the desert for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. Why would we take him to the desert to be tempted? Why would he be tested? This is the Son of God. He's loyal to God. He loves his Father. Why should he be tested? Because you and I are tested. You and I are tested. And he's our example of how to go through the test. And he comes on down, he says, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones, this stone, to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. What is it that you and I have to fight against the devil? What's the most important weapon you have? Pardon? Say it again so they can hear it. The Word of God. The Word of God. That sword that cuts is a two-edged sword. But if you're ignorant of the Word and you don't have the Word or you don't believe the Word, you don't have nothing to fight with. But Jesus is using the same thing that the Holy Spirit gives unto us to fight against him who attacks us. It is written, the word. That's what Melvin was trying to also show you within the Sunday school this morning. It's the word that sometimes all you have, you, don't, you, you haven't heard from God, you don't know what to do. You go back to that word and you stand. And that's all Jesus used. Now, of course, Jesus would went over into his bag of tricks and told Satan. <laughs> See, we can't do that because we don't have that power. We don't have those bags of tricks. But what we do have is the word. 
the written word. And he was the example of us using that word to fight off who? Satan. And the things that come against us. And it says, he kept saying, it is written or it is said. It is written or it is said. And then when you get into verse 13, look what it says here. After going through this time of testing, you would think Satan would say, boy, I couldn't strike him out. I couldn't do anything with him. I'm just going to leave him alone. But this tells us a little bit of something about Jesus. That Satan recognized Jesus was in a human body. And that human body has weaknesses. That human body could be broken. That human body, at some opportune time, I'm going to catch him at the right time. And that's what Satan says about us. We go through this test, through this trial, and we stand. And Satan said, well, I'll catch you at some opportune time. I'll catch you when your guard is down. I'll catch you when you think nobody else is looking. I'll catch you when you have such a confidence that you can get away with something, but you can't. And therefore, in that 13th verse, he says, when the devil had finished all his tempting, now listen to the second part of it. He left him until an opportune what? Time. And that's what Satan does with us. As long as you have breath, you're going to be bothered with that old devil. He's just looking for an opportune time to slip in. And it says he was led by the Spirit into the desert. He was led there. But then when we come back, boy, Satan, Satan's looking for that opportune time. He couldn't get him this time. But he's going to look for that opportune time. He may not have gotten you yesterday. He may not have gotten you last month. But he might get you in the month to come. He might get you in the new year, even though he didn't get you this year. He's coming at you. He's looking for that opportune moment in which he can just slip in. Now, Satan knows that here's Jesus in this human body. And yet he is dependent on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives life. Remember one of the verses we talked about? He's giving life to Jesus on this human side. And he's giving him life for this purpose, that he might finish his course or complete his work. He gives him life and works in his life that he might finish the course or the work, or if I can put it where it connects with us, the plan God has for his life. 
For Jesus says it's himself. For this is what I came into the world to do. To die. It was planned before the foundations of this earth was ever laid. That he would come. It was planned that he would come and seek and save those who were lost. That was a plan. It was a plan that he would come born as a child and die as a man 33 years of age. It was God's plan for him. And it was the Holy Spirit that held his feet to the plan. And just like God has a plan for you, and it's the Holy Spirit that has to develop that plan and hold your feet to the plan that God has set for you. Catch that. For God has a plan for your life, Jeremiah 29 tells us. But who holds you to God's plan? Who keeps you on that right path? Who won't let you go too far to the right or to the left? Who holds you? The Holy Spirit. Keeps you there. Very quickly, keep, keep your fingers right there. We'll go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and catch what is going to be said here in 21. 2.21 He says, to this you were called. You're called to a plan. Now you can live your own plan, but you won't be living the life that God has ordained for you. But you're called to God's plan. But you have to accept that. You have to accept that and allow God to unfold it for you and the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. And keep you on that plan that God has for your life. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you a what? An example. An example. That you should follow in his steps. So he's given us an example. Of how to trust. In the spirit of God. How to be obedient to the Spirit of God. How to lean on the Holy Spirit when it comes to something that you're saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And you're back and forth with it that the Holy Spirit finally rushes in there and says, not my will, but your will be done. He gives us this example. Follow down with me back in Luke chapter 4. I want you to see some development that takes place. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught. He taught in the power of who? The Spirit. 
He taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. His ministry was teaching, but relying on the power of the Spirit, that his words, as Hebrews, as 1 Thessalonians 5 will tell us, not in word only, but in power of the Holy Spirit. Remember who is the author of the word, even of the Old Testament word, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus teaches Old Testament and new what is yet to come, the word of God. And the word of God is that which the Holy Spirit then pins and empowers. And he says, and the news spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues. Now, and everyone praised him. He taught where? In their synagogues. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into where? The synagogue. Now, kiss the words that follow. As was his what? Custom. His custom. What, what was his custom? His custom was to be in church. His custom was to be learning of his father. His custom was to be learning of the word of God. Yes, he is God. We cannot deny that. Yes, he knows everything. Why does he need to learn? If I knew everything, I would have never went to school even starting in kindergarten. I would have just bypassed all that junk. But on that human side, what he is revealing, that he's there worshiping and he's there learning. And guess who's doing the teaching? The Holy Spirit. Whenever correct teaching is going forth, it goes forth only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Error goes forth in the power of Satan, the deceiver. And it said it was his custom. This is what he did regularly. He didn't get tired of it. He didn't grow old to it. He didn't say, well, I read through the Old Testament one time. That's enough. I don't need to read through it no more. The one who knew everything is sitting someplace being taught. Boy, that's mind-blowing. And he says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Isn't that something? The one who knows everything opens up the scroll to read it. Why even open it up? Why not just? But on that human side, he does what is expected from what side? That fleshly human side. He unrolls it. He found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What's upon him? The Spirit. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He released the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And I imagine they're saying, that ain't nothing but the carpenter's son. Isn't that just Mary's son? Don't he have a brother? Who do you think he had lost his mind now, hadn't he? Talking about the spirit is upon him. And yet he was declaring truth. Because he was full of the spirit. And the spirit was empowering him. And understand something. As you live a spirit-filled life, you're going to be confusing to other people. Because they're going to see you and they're going to only see you in what you once were, not what you are. And they were only seeing him in what he once was, not what he is. And Jesus' life was planned. A life before the foundations of the earth. And the whole process, Jesus says, I was born for this reason, to die to die. The life was already planned. Your life in Jesus is a planned life. If you know the Lord, there's a planned life that God has for you. And in Acts 10, 38, he says, boy, that he was full of the Spirit, but he was also anointed by the Lord. He was anointed by the Lord. Let's go over to 1038 just for a moment. Look what he says. Let me get there. Get my eyes focused. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with. Now, why would he need the Holy Spirit? Why would the Son of God need the Holy Spirit? Why would the one who is divine need the Holy Spirit? Again, I suggest to you, He being an example to us of what our need if we're going to live a spiritual life pleasing unto God that we have need of the Holy Spirit. We have need of the Holy Spirit. We have need of Him. Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Wait a minute. Now he's the son of God. He don't need no power. No. He laid his power where? To the side. 
And now he is totally dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him. Not his power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. See, you don't have no power to deal with this spiritual world out here. So he becomes just like you and I. I have no power to help me stand when those fiery darks come. I have no power when Satan brings his trials and his testing. I have no power against this demonic world that wants to flood in. I have no power to control myself and stop myself from cussing. I have no power to keep me faithful to Elaine. I have no power to be faithful to my children and my family. I have no power to be loyal to an employer. I have no power in and of myself to do any of those things. But it all comes through the Holy Spirit. And it says, with that with Jesus being our example of depending on the Holy Spirit, the same person you and I have to depend on in order to please our God, the Holy Spirit. Now, without the Holy Spirit, we cannot please God. And that's what was so important in Luke 24 when Jesus says, I'm going to send what the Father has promised. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? In verse 49, I'm going to send you in Luke 24. Why? He knew what the human need, that man's frame is weak. Man can't do it. I need help. You need help. We can't do this life of Christ on our own. And that's the sad part about Christianity. That it has become something in name and people just think, boy, it's just like joining the Masons or the Boy Scouts or joining this group or that group and I go buy my uniform and I put it on and there I am. I'm an alpha or I'm a this or I'm a that. That's not Christianity. You just can't put on a change of clothes and think you're a Christian. You just can't jump in a hot bath and wash yourself up and think you've been cleaned and purified. It don't work. You got the outside looking good, but the inside messed up. And Christianity is something that takes place on the inside and comes out of your pores to the outside. And he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Why? You have need of it. Why do we know we have need of it? Look at the Old Testament and you will see it. 
over and over and over and over again of the failures of who? Of men. And yes, we're going to have failures, but we're also going to have victories. And we're going to overcome even our failures. There's not one of you sitting here is not struggling with something. Whether it be your thoughts, whether it be your attitude, whether it be your anger, whether it be that you even think that you are more than what you ought to think yourself to be. And you're thinking higher of yourself than you are. That we're dealing with something that only the Holy Spirit can deal with us with. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed until you have been clothed with power. Until you have been clothed with power. Now, you have to ask yourself, when do you recognize the Holy Spirit empowering you? And when's the last time you asked him to empower you? When I was out here cutting the trees down and I bring the wood, we was chipping and I got one or two steps. When I got on that bank, I said, Lord, you got to help me up the bank. All Gus's energy had dissipated. It was gone. But somehow you ask God to and the Holy Spirit energizes. When you think you're too tired to do anything else but fall down on the bed, but God is asking you to do something else, asking for the strength and watch the Holy Spirit come in and strengthen and give to you. You have to recognize where does the Holy Spirit empowers you and strengthens you to perform, and to do. And when the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom for the right words, when the Holy Spirit gives you the right time to hug somebody, sometimes it ain't the time to hug. Sometimes it's just the time to shut the mouth. Sometimes we think we got all the wisdom and the knowledge, and sometimes we just need to go, "Mm." And the whole process is to be led by the Spirit into every person's life that you interact with. Because some people are going to hurt you. That's okay. Because they hurt Christ. But the Holy Spirit gave them the strength to do what? Keep right on going. And that's what he's talking about. If you're going to do this ministry 
that I'm calling you to. If you're going to do what I'm asking you to do to take this message into all the world, if you're going to do what I'm asking you to do to live like me, you have to be empowered from something else other than yourself. And he says, now wait. Now wait. Wait. Go to Acts 1 here. Acts chapter 8, chapter 1. <clears throat> and he says in that verse 8, he says, but you will receive power. You will receive power. You're going to receive power. But what happens in the Christian life so often, we want to do it on our own. And that's a form of idolatry. That when you want to do it on your own, you want to shut God out. And you want all praise and glory to go to you for what you have done. And when that thing is over, what needs to be said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That all praise and honor goes to him. Because it's been done in the power of the Holy Spirit who you have given unto me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. What do you know about Jerusalem? It's the religious capital of the world at that time in a sense. And guess where he's asking you to minister at? In this place where you have all these different religions, per se, and all these different people who come into Jerusalem. And even with these Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says, I want you to go back into that place. No, Lord, we need to go someplace fresh. We grew up there. We know what them folks like. Lord, I don't want to minister in Akron, but I'll go to Canton. Too many folks know me in Akron. They wouldn't think it's real. But I'll go to Cleveland, or I'll go to New York, or I'll go. He said, go right back to Jerusalem. Lord, you know we are Jews. You know how them folks going to act. If we tell them we have converted to Christianity, now we're following Jesus Christ, and you're saying, go back to Jerusalem? No, Lord, no. But in the power of the Spirit, you can do it. In the power of the Spirit, and guess where one of the places people hate to talk about the Lord at? In the midst of their own family. <laughs> now, you know somebody back there saying, oh, here they come again. Here they're going to start with that Jesus stuff again. Oh, no, I know what they're going to say. When you come to church, when you go. He says, then into Jerusalem. Then he says, also into Judea. And Judea was just a larger area, but it still encompassed Jerusalem because Jerusalem was in Judea. But we're going out a little bit further than just center 
And then we go into those Samaritans, them half-breeds, them mixed folks, them folks who aren't pure Jews. Lord, you want me to go minister to some white person? See, one of the things that the black church still have to understand, all white folks aren't saved. Guess what? They need to hear the gospel too. It used to be one-way street. They come in to minister to us. Because they saw us as lost. What we needed to see, they was lost and was over there. <laughs> and what we need to see is that the world needs Jesus. No matter what nationality or ethnic background. And he says, I've given you power to take this gospel into this world. Now, what are you a witness of? What are you a witness of? Go back over to Luke 24 before we talk about this. Uh, we're going to jump back up a paragraph or so. Luke 24. Go back up to 45. In chapter 24, he said, Then he opened their minds so they could understand what? The scriptures. That's one thing the Holy Spirit has to do. Man can't do it. Man can be the very best of a teacher, but it takes the Holy Spirit to open up a mind that they might understand the scripture. Now, people think just because they read, they can read and understand. It doesn't work that way. He said he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures because the scriptures have to be understood. And oftentimes we think just because I have this educational level or because I'm this smart, I can understand these scriptures. No. No. Hold your finger there. Go to 1 Corinthians. But we're going to come back to Luke 24. Go to 1 Corinthians. Go to verse uh, chapter 2. Come on down with me uh, into verse 10. We're going to start there. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Now, what's being revealed is only being revealed by who? The spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For Who among men know the thoughts of a man except the man, the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except who? The spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now listen that we may understand what God has freely given 
us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Now, catch 14, if you haven't underlined it, you can underline it or do something with it. He says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from who? The Spirit of God. It's just foolishness to them. It don't make sense to them. They can't understand it. And cannot understand them because they are spiritually what? Spiritually discerned, not fleshly discerned, not intellectually discerned, but spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Come on back now to Luke 24. He opened their minds that they might have understanding. And this is what is written. The Christ will suffer. That was written. That's Old Testament. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 7. The whole point is to see Christ suffering. You can go all the way back to Genesis 3. And say, Christ will suffer. And he says, the Christ will suffer and raised from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in the name, in his name, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what the Father has promised. Now, you are witnesses of these things. Now, you and I did not witness his suffering. You and I did not witness him coming forth from the grave. You and I didn't witness him going around and showing himself in his resurrected body. You and I didn't witness his healings per se at that time. You and I didn't witness him calling Lazarus from the grave. But the question I have for you is this. What have you witnessed? I've witnessed God keep a marriage together for 54 years. And it's only by God that has done that. I've witnessed God raising up a young man off the hospital bed after being unconscious for almost a month. And when the doctors look at his medical records, they say, is that him? Because they can't believe that that's him. I've witnessed God putting three kids through college and I don't know how that was done. I've witnessed God feeding 14 children, always having a roof over their heads, always having clean clothes to wear. I've witnessed God, even when we laid off, God's provision and providing. I witnessed God taking a person through school that should not have went through college. What have you witnessed? What have you witnessed of God working in your life? What have you witnessed? 
and that you speak of. Because God has done it. God has done it. A doctor comes into the patient's room and says, if something don't change in 24 hours, we've done all that we can do. And God did something, and I'm still here. What has God done in your life that you can bear witness to that he's done? See, you didn't see him raise Lazarus. You didn't see him walk on the water. You didn't see him feed the 5,000. But Donna, when James was out of work, did he feed you? Open up the refrigerator, nothing there, but did he feed you? You witness to what you know God has done in your life. And you witness about the one who did it. Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior of my life. You witness how he brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You witness of his goodness to you. And the change he's made in your life is not about you, it's about him. And he tells them to witness what they see, what they know. You witness what you know. I would not be a changed man, I would not be a Christian, I would not be who I am, but by the grace of God. You witness. How are we living? And what have we overcome? How are we to live? And how are we to overcome? Very quickly, Romans 15. 15 and verse 13. Romans. fifteen, Verse 13. You witness what you know and you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace no matter what you're going through. Even in his silent manner, I'm stealing from from Melvin now. Even in his solid moments, he still fills you with his joy and peace if you're alive. He fills you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. As you what? Trust. As you trust in him. If he brought you through this and brought you through that and brought you through this, can you trust him for a little bit more? as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by what? By the power. Look where your hope even comes from. By your hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who gives you what? Hope and encouragement. The Holy Spirit. He 
be the one who teaches us to trust in God. He's the one who teaches us to trust in Jesus. He's the one who teaches us. Where will you be empowered? Go to Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16. Where are you going to be empowered at? And it's so important to understand. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you or empower you with power through his what? His spirit. In your where? Inner being. Your inner being. God's not worried about you going to the gym and doing this. He's strengthening you in here. That you can stand any test, any problem, any trouble. You're being strengthened in here that you might overcome it because you don't know what strength it's going to take to overcome it. Where has God strengthened me? In this pulpit? The day my mom died, I'm at the hospital, three in the morning. She passed. Too late to call anybody else to say, take the pulpit, do this. I'm here preaching. After I left the hospital, and we pulled the sheet up over my mouth. God gives me strength to do siblings' funerals. And not to break down during that time, but afterwards, find my little corner of the world and cry. He gives us strength to go through things with other people. And sometimes what people can heap on you can break you down. But God gives you strength to stand. And you can identify the strength that is not yours, but that is his. And he's enabling you in the inner person to take that tongue lashing without saying a word. To take that belittlement without saying a word. To take that degradingness without saying a word. To be able to do more than what you have been obligated to do. That you go the extra mile because he gives you the strength to do it. That's why Christians should be the best workers of anybody else. Because they're going overboard with it. Because God strengthens them to do more than just what the flesh can do. He says, I strengthen you in that inner person. In that inner person, you can do it. And what you 
could not do in and of yourself. Last verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. That his word doesn't come just in and of itself. But it comes in the power that is given by the Holy Spirit. But then he tells us a demonstration of that power that is revealed in you because of that word. So in verse 5, he says, because of our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. God's words are powerful. If you will meditate on God's words, if you will be in God's words, God's word will change you. God's word will give you faith that you could never gunder up yourself or make up yourself. God's word enables you to walk by faith and not by sight. God's word enables you not to question him. Yes, the human side, we're going to question, and we have every right to question, but there's something about the confidence and certainty that you begin to have in God's word that dispels all what Satan will bring into your mind. came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. And with deeds, conviction, with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. We shared the word with you, and guess what? You became imitators of us. Guess who we're imitating? Jesus Christ. Guess there's only one pattern that the Holy Spirit has for all of us. The life of Christ. You don't act like Pastor Brown. You don't even desire to even be like Pastor Brown. You don't desire to be like Brother Beecher, got all these verses in his head and quote all this other stuff. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to be like Melvin, a Sunday school teacher. You don't want to be that. You want to be what God intended you to be a copy, a perfect individual following the Lord Jesus Christ, imitating him and him only. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Can you see how the Spirit of God is developing us? Can you see the need of the Spirit of God? That yes, we all need him. Can you understand the importance of not quenching him, not grieving him? Can you understand, Lord, my heart is open to you. My mind is open to you. My life is yours, Lord. Allow your Holy Spirit to develop me however he so desires. That song we sang, Give Yourself Away, who are you giving yourself to? 
Are you giving yourself to the Holy Spirit? Are you giving yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ that the Spirit of God might develop you into the godly woman and godly man that God intended? If you don't leave here with no other thought but this, 